that uh, seem to have fears. Um, what have I to fear? What have I to dread? Leaning on Christ's arms. Derek, thank you, my brother, for stepping in and helping us in, in this. Uh, it'll get more comfortable as time goes along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he is, He is. by the way, I found out from a friend, <laughs> quite a gifted musician. And we're going to hear some more of that later on, too. So um, uh, this morning, as the church, begin, we begin this, this pilgrimage with a potentially new pastor. I mean, we haven't voted on Brother John yet, but I speak about him since he's not here. Um, the committee has done their work. The committee has brought a recommendation. And now it's up to the body to determine whether or not you believe this is God's man for this season. And the way we determine, you know, what God is saying to the body is there will be a, a, uh, a ballot vote that will be taken. The search committee and the deacons will look at it and then we'll bring a report back to you. And that's how we discern what God is saying to the body. So I want you to be praying. But this morning, the, I want to go back to kind of some basics. Uh, some years ago, a friend of mine who uh, was in, I was in seminary with, and uh, I didn't know him, but I, everybody kept walking up and calling me by his name, and I didn't, I kept thinking, I'm not, I'm not Rick, I'm Dave, I'm Dave. Well, we finally met each other, and we realized that we did look an awful lot alike back then. We both had lots of hair, and we had mustaches and <laughs> wire rim glasses and all that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, but uh, Rick shared with me these two passages of scripture, and they just really, you know, so much of what I've learned in the Christian life has been from friends, you know, talking Bible studies and, and talking with folks. And he shared with me these two passages of scripture we're going to look at this morning in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, and Matthew chapter 28. And you can flip over to Matthew 22 if you like. I've also got it printed there in your little outline. But um, the uh, seed idea... Uh, came from my friend Rick Warren. And it is, basically the question is, why do we have church? Why do we come to church? For some, well, I was raised in church and I always came to church and I was taught to come to church and, and so I, I just do, it's just out of habit. Some come because uh, I, I want to learn, I want to know what God has for me. But beyond just the Sunday morning message or Bible study group, why is there a church? Why does God have a body of believers called the church? Now for the next couple of Sunday nights while I'm here, I'm going to be dealing with uh, spiritual gifts. Uh, I want to kind of really dive into spiritual gifts because at your spiritual birth, you were given a spiritual gift. A, one spiritual gift. Now I know there are some say you gotta seek the gifts, you gotta seek the baptism, you gotta all, there's all kinds of strange teaching about spiritual gifts. Um, and, and I'm gonna share with you uh, what I see in scripture as spiritual gifts because God gave spiritual gifts to the church to supernaturally empower the church to do things that it couldn't do on its own. Now, you know, a, a church, a group of people who get together can do a lot of things. I mean, you know, we can have cookouts and we can have 
parties we can do. There's a lot of things we can do. But to accomplish God's work, spiritual work, supernatural work, there needs to be a supernatural power that's given to the church. And so that's what I'm going to look at on, on Sunday nights. And tonight will be 1 Corinthians 12. But before we jump into that, I want to come back to that basic question. Why do we have church? Why do we do that? Two scripture passages I want us to look at this morning. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. If you have your Bibles, you might flip over there and look at that. And again, I have it printed for you there as well. And in fact, I'll just, I'll just read it from the little handout that I've given you here. This is called the Great Commandment. And the second passage we're going to look at is called the Great Commission. The Great Commandment, Jesus um, uh, focused us on when a, Pharise, a Sadducee actually came and said, of all the law, these are people who are experts in the law, said of all the law, what's the greatest commandment? I mean, we've got all these laws. And by that time, rabbinical Judaism had taken over and they had laws for how many steps you could take on the Sabbath before you ate a meal. And if uh, I was going to go to see my kids, I mean, here's how ridiculous it got. If I can only take 50 steps on the Sabbath before I could eat a meal, and it was 55 steps to my son's door, then I would, on Friday night, would hide a piece of bread or something under a rock at 50 steps, stop, eat a piece of bread, and then walk the last five. I mean, but that's, that's rabbinic Judaism, folks. That's legalism. Legalism kills. It just imprisons people. But this uh, Sadducee asked him, he says, Lord, of all of the law, what's the greatest commandment? And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, it's like he didn't even take a breath. Like in the same breath, he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, now wouldn't you agree with me that that probably is the greatest commandment of all Scripture? I mean, when Jesus himself, out of his own words, said, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to look at what does that mean to the church? When Jesus died and gave his life on the cross and people surrender themselves to him and he builds this body called the church, why do we come together? Two lessons we're going to learn out of this passage and then two we're going to learn out of the next one, the great commandment. Or the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Let's pause and pray. Father, thank you for your word. And help us now, Father, to take these two very critical passages in the New Testament that seem to summarize exactly why we exist and what we're here for. And so, Father, I pray that you'd give us understanding, and in particular, Father, give us application for this body of Christ called 
First Baptist Osprey. Now, Father, we love you. Thank you for what you've done for us. And I pray if there's a single soul here this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today they would surrender themselves to you and they realize how much you really love them and how much you care. So, Father, we surrender this time and this study to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, the great commandment. Two, two lessons we're going to learn at it. First of all, we want to celebrate God's presence. Celebrate God's presence. It says, you are to love the Lord. By the way, if I'm walking just a little bit strange, I've got a broken rib, and so I'm struggling a little bit. Uh, d- don't, no hugs this morning, okay? <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, literally, just hello. Uh, it's fine. Uh, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What, what is he saying to us? We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Now, by the way, folks, that is uh, uh, also found in, um, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy. It says, this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. So what do we do? We need to celebrate God's presence. You need to celebrate, and the church needs to celebrate, God's presence in us. And so this is called worship. And folks, that's why when we sing, and I know Derek was a little nervous this morning, uh, and I understand that. uh, But folks, whenever we come together to sing, it's not just singing words, black ink on white paper. And some of these songs are so familiar to you that you can sing them uh, like me from memory and not even know what you're singing. That's not worship. Worship is with all of our heart. It means when I sing, when I worship, you're to come and you are to surrender yourself to him. Worship. Worship is the adoration and the praise of who God is and celebrating his presence in your life. So the first thing we look at is style, the style of worship. One thing a lot of churches can get hung up on is style. You'll have uh, some, some churches that uh, uh, have a, a real contemporary uh, style that's, you know, um, and you walk in and, in fact, I know uh, in Texas when my uh, little grandson was three, he'd go into church, he had to put in ear, earplugs because it was so loud. Um, and, you know, there's a, you know, he was, he's afraid to even go into the worship service. Now, I'm just, I'm not saying that negatively about the church. It's just, that's their style. And that was who they were. Is there anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong. It's different. Okay. This congregation sings a blend of uh, some contemporary songs uh, and many of the old hymns. Is there anything wrong with that? Say, oh, you guys are lost in back in the 1950s and 30s. No, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just different. It's not the style of worship because we are to celebrate God's presence and love Him with all of our what? Heart, soul, and mind. And so the way you're to worship is not the style of worship is not the issue. The way we worship is we worship Him with all of our heart. 
Now, if you stand there and you sing and you just sing words and they don't really mean anything. By the way, one of the reasons I wanted to stop um, and talk to you about that last verse we sang, you know, about fear is because we'd been confronted with that. And sometimes we could sing that verse and not really come to grips with what you're singing. Remember, when you're singing, you're singing to an audience of one. I've known folks who say, well, I don't want to sing because I'll run that person in front of me off if they hear my voice. Not the issue. The issue is for you to meet the Lord Jesus and to worship Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Even if it's off key, it's okay. We give you permission to be off key, all right? Uh, it's all right. Because the the and I have, I've stood next to some folks and sang and it's just hard. I have to go almost like this because, I mean, it's so bad. Now, I'm not real good at vocalism, but listen, I mean, it was just so bad. I have to do that, but that's okay. You know why? Because I look at them and I see their worship from their heart with all they've got, with who they are. That's what worship is. And when the first thing we're to do is to we're to celebrate God's presence with us. He's here with us. And so what's the church to do? Well, the first commandment. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, you see, it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. I, I remember, uh, you know, our worship style out at uh, Sarasota Baptist when I was out there years ago was a very contemporary and so forth. And we'd have folks who... Um, <laughs> I remember uh, uh, Mel Lidecker, he, uh, he'd come by. He's from Maine, and, uh, you know, yeah, that's right. I see that Maine hand back there, you know. And Mel's, Mel's church and their upbringing, they moved down here and retired. And Mel's uh, and his wife, I forget what not wife's name right now. Uh, anyway, what? Ida. Ida? No, it wasn't Ida. Anyway, <laughs> Mel. Mel, Mel came in, he says, Pastor, we really, we really just love you, church. We love you preaching. We just love the fellowship and everything. He says, but my wife, we're from Maine. And up there, I mean, the most drastic thing that happens, the, most, the loud thing that happens is when a mouse runs across the hardwood podium. I mean, that's it. It's just very quiet, subdued. And we just can't quite take th- that sound. And I said, that's okay. Mel, it's okay. Because the, that kind of church that you're looking for is one mile as the crow flies. And I told him where the address was. And I told him what church. I told him the pastor. I said, I'll call the pastor and tell you about it. He said, you're going to love it up there. And he did. And they did. And it was wonderful. Because it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. We all have different styles. Is one better than the other? No. It's just different. Style is not the issue. John chapter 4. Do you remember Jesus at the well at Sychar? Uh, the woman at the well, he was talking with her. And, he, and she says, well, you guys believe that it's, you, you worship down in uh, Jerusalem. We believe you worship up here in, in Dan, you know. And so uh, who's right and who's wrong? And Jesus looked at her and says, you don't understand, woman. There's a day coming. What, what God is interested in is people worshiping him in spirit and in truth. It is the spirit of your worship that God looks at. God looks at your heart. And so when you sing, when you worship, I want to just 
beg you to look at the attitude of your heart. It's real easy for us to look around and say, oh man, you see that pink dress she's got on. Ooh. But you're singing along, but you're thinking this, okay? That's not worshiping the Lord with your heart. And the reason we can do that is because even while I'm speaking, you can listen at 600 words a minute and I can speak at about 200 words a minute. So there's a 400 word a minute, you know, uh, uh, deficit there. And so you're already thinking about other things than what I'm saying. And that, that's just the way we are. But always focus your heart back on your worship, celebrating the Lord's presence, because it takes all kinds of people to reach all, all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And don't criticize just because something is different. Don't, don't, don't criticize them, even if it's not my style. Even if it's not my particular style, don't criticize it. Just praise the Lord and say, man, I am so glad people are worshiping the Lord Jesus. I tell you what, I get excited just walking, just driving down the street when I see any, any church parking lot that's full, okay? It's got people in it. So the manner of worship is not what the issue, the manner of worship is your heart. What is your heart? You know why that's important to God? Because to God, people are important to Him. And when we come together to celebrate His presence, we need to worship him. That's what he's after. Now, what's the purpose of worship? The purpose of worship, I need worship. I, I, I really, it's difficult for me to sit in a, in a service where there's not worship and music. And, and but I need that. You know why? Because the purpose of worship is to prepare you for Monday. Okay? While we come together, we come together to worship to meet him, to get our batteries charged, to be, uh, to, for fellowship with each other, to get us ready for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and so forth until we come back together again. So the first thing when Jesus said, when asked, what's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And by the way, notice it says with all your mind. You don't put your brain on a shelf when you become a Christian. There's, there's some protagonist to Christianity that says, well, you just all got blind faith, you know, and you believe that the, you know, the earth's flat and all this sort of stuff. That's not true. Uh, because if you really examine the Bible and you examine science and you examine what it has to say, it takes more faith not to believe the scripture than it does to believe it. You're not, you don't put your mind on a shelf. Uh, God has given us proofs, but the last step is always faith. So we're to celebrate God's presence. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Oh, and the second is like it. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, which tells us number two, we are to demonstrate God's love. Celebrate God's presence. Demonstrate God's love. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as a church body, why do we come together as a church? Because as a church body, we are to demonstrate God's love. John 13, 35, I have printed there for you. It says this, um, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love 
one another. Now, this uh, loving your neighbor is also called in James 2.8. You might just make it a little right out in the margin there. James 2.8. You can go back and look at it. In James 2.8, it says this. The royal law is to love your neighbor. So not only is this the great commandment, the second greatest commandment, but it's also called the royal law in James 2.8. So what are we supposed to do? Demonstrate God's love. The, the church comes together to worship, to celebrate God's presence. And then as a body, we are to demonstrate God's love by, first of all, loving one another. Now, who's to do this? You're to do this. These are commandments that are given to you and to me as well. But it's commandments given to us. And notice it says in Ephesians 4.12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, the body of Christ. Whenever you, are, you come to Christ and you surrender your life to Him, God gives you at that moment a spiritual gift. It is a, called a motivational gift. And that motivational gift is the driving force that drives you. And people look at things differently. Uh, there's a gift of service. There's a gift of uh, exhortation. There's, there's just different gifts. I'll get into that in detail tonight. But that's the motivating force, and God gives each person a different spiritual gift. I do not have the gift of mercy. You say, well, that's kind of bad. The pastor doesn't have a gift of mercy. No, I don't. The only mercy I got is what I learned from my wife. She has the gift of mercy, okay? <laughs> and, and so I learned, I learned from her. And it goes like this, you know, you shouldn't say things like that. Don't you know it's going to hurt their feelings? Well, what did I say? What did I say? You know, I, you know, I don't even realize it, okay? Because I'm different. Her motivational gift is mercy. Now, what happens is there was only one person who ever lived that had all the spiritual gifts operating 100% of the time, all the time. And that person was? Jesus, Jesus Christ, right. Now, as a body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. We are the physical body, the physical presence of Christ on the earth. And so this body has in it all the spiritual gifts, driving forces that it needs to accomplish God's purpose on this earth. Now, if there's not enough mercy, well, he'll bring in, he'll bring in some folks with mercy. Or he'll, you know, we'll see somebody that comes to Christ, they give their life to Christ and phew, God puts mercy in them. If this church... Uh, uh, is a little bit slow on just building up the, each other and encouraging each other. It says, well, then, then God may bring somebody to Christ and gives them the spiritual gift of exhortation. I'll tell you about my spiritual gift tonight, but I'm not going to give that away to, right now. But we all have these different gifts that we're to use, motivational gifts. And the purpose of your gift is not to say, my, look what I've got. You know, now, now some of our Pentecostal brethren will do this. They'll look and say, well, have you got the baptism? Did you get, you speak in tongues? Well, you don't. Well, now, all of a sudden, you're a second-class citizen. I might as well just tell you up front, I believe tongues ceased at the, at the apostolic age. Okay, let me just throw it on the table, get rid of that. Um, and I'll explain more of that tonight and next Sunday night, too. Okay, tongues has ceased. Now, Somebody says, wait a minute, I've already had that, I've had that experience, I've spoken in tongues. Well, 
one of the problems with, with uh, the exercise of spiritual gifts is your spiritual gift was not given to bless you. Your spiritual gift was given to bless everybody around you. And many times uh, folks will say, well, I got this gift, this gift of tongues, or I got this spiritual gift. And so they say, well, you know, and it's to build themselves up in the body. And that's not the purpose at all. The body of Christ has been given supernatural gifts. You have been given a supernatural gift. And if you're not exercising it in the body, then what happens is the body of Christ is weak because you're not exercising the gift that God's given you. God puts you in this body for a reason. God didn't put you in here to sit, soak, and sour. Sit, soak up everything you can. You know, you know what happens to a, a sponge at the kitchen, your kitchen uh, sink? You, know, you keep wiping up stuff, wiping up stuff. If you don't wring it out, what happens to it? Oh, man. It sours, doesn't it? You ever smell an old sponge or something at the kitchen sink? It's awful. Because it just sits and it soaks up stuff and then it just sours. That's what happens to a believer that doesn't wring it out. You've given this gift. God's put it in you. You come to worship. Celebrate His presence. Be filled with the Spirit in your relationship with the Lord. And now you are to wring that out. You're to give that away. And by doing so, you demonstrate God's love to other people. And that's what we're supposed to do. We celebrate His presence. We demonstrate God's love by, by giving ourselves away. And here's a little, how do we do that? Well, find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Now let me expand on that just a little bit. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Um... Somebody that you all know, you've been introduced to, okay? Remember Art Hallett? The only thing, you know, the black fellow's got the prison ministry, you know? Good friend, a good, good friend, okay. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I love Art. Art came to me one time and he says, Pastor, Pastor, he, says, he said, uh, uh, you know, my brother-in-law's in prison. And I've been up there and he's got all these inmates and we need, to, we need to have a prison ministry. We need to have a prison ministry. Well, here's my response when somebody comes to me with, a, with an idea of ministry. You got the burden, you're it, okay? If God's given you the burden, then you're it. You're the person that God's going to lead us. So here's what I told him. I said, okay, I don't disagree with that. The scripture tells us, Hebrews 13, that we're to look out for those in prison. So, Art, how are we going to do this? Well, I don't know. I just came to you. Well, don't dump it on me. If God's given you the burden, you're it. You figure out how we're supposed to do this. And we'll, we'll jump on this thing. Why? Because he's got, it's, his, it's just his passion. He saw a need that we weren't meeting. He saw a need that our church body had uh, of incarcerated folks who were affiliated with us. And we were not meeting that need. And so God used art to raise up the prison ministry that's even now gone international. It's incredible what's happened. And that's the difference. That's what happens when God puts a burden in your heart and uses you and your spiritual gift to empower the rest of the church and to lead us. Now, some here have got a burden for children. 
Man, we need that. You know, how tragic is it for somebody to be, um, you know, a teenager, run off and destroy their life with poor choices and never will be taught the word? Well, we need children's workers. We need vacation Bible school workers. We need Sunday school workers. We need folks who will love on those kids and help them grow and to, and to be a, so that the church can be a support to parents. Now, you can't dump your kids off of the church and expect to fix them. You can't, that doesn't work like that, okay? But we need to be a support to parents and families. And God has given this body of Christ exactly what we need when we need it. Uh, a, a good example, this week, you know, we didn't know we were going to need somebody to lead us in, in, in worship this week. And two days before we had the need, I found out about this guy. Derek. And so God has, you know, and when I asked him, he didn't pray about anything. He said, okay. He said, okay. Why? Because God had already given him the burden to do that. So find a hurt and heal it. Find a need and meet it. And that's what, the, so by doing so, we demonstrate God's love to everybody. It says, be, number two there, be committed to one another. Be, excuse me, be committed to another group of Christians, Acts 2.42. One of the things that tells us here in Acts 2.42 is that the people of God came together every day. This was in the, the early days of the New Testament. They came together and they broke bread together and they prayed together and they fellowshiped together. And so every person of the body, you need to be attached somewhere to the body of Christ because we draw encouragement from each other, okay? Now, I can look out here and I can tell kind of who's missing, you know, like Pat missing right here, okay? You say, well, how do you know? And I know, I know when Sharon's not here, okay? Uh, and you say, well, how do you know that? So, well, pastors have these little video cameras in our eyes and just kind of go like this and scan them because you all are creatures of habit and you always sit in the same spot. Like these two right here. They always sit in the same spot. One, two, three, four, right there. Okay. Um, and sometimes I like to mess them up by getting somebody else to sit in that spot. All right. Now, <laughs> you know, that's an encouragement, though. Because when I come to fellowship, I come to worship, the people that I draw encouragement from are there. You attach yourself to them. And you don't need to, to sit in... Uh, and look at the backs of people's heads. You need to be involved in a Bible study group somewhere so that you can be an encouragement to others, exercising your gifts, using your gifts, and being a blessing to other people. Demonstrating God's love. It's one thing we can just say, I love you, but the, the church needs to be from Missouri. Show me, okay? Show me. We're going to show you how we love. Demonstrating God's love. Now, the three categories of gifts, spiritual gifts or ministry gifts, motivational gifts, and manifestation. The motivational gift, First um, Corinthians 12, 6, the motivational gift is what drives you. The ministry gift is where you serve, and the manifestation is what happens as a result. Again, we'll flesh it out tonight. So we need to celebrate God's presence, and we need to demonstrate His love. That's what Jesus told us to do. In the greatest commandment. Let's read that great commandment again. Let's read it together. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay. So, celebrate his presence, demonstrate his love. See, this is real simple, folks. It's just real simple when you think about what's the most important things Jesus said to us and how do we apply that. Now, the second two reasons we have church we find in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is Matthew 28, 19. I have that printed for you. We've already read it. It says, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Let's just stop right there. Okay, so what do we need to do? One of the purposes, now this is Jesus' final words. As he's on the earth, he's been risen from the grave for 40 days. He is beginning an ascent. He's on the Mount of Olives and he's beginning his ascent into heaven. And the disciples are standing there watching him ascend. And he says these words to them. Go ye therefore into all the world. What does it say? Make disciples. Go and make disciples. How do you make a disciple? What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Christ, right? That's somebody who chooses to follow Christ. So how do you make a disciple? Well, you have to share the gospel message with them. That's how you become a disciple. You don't teach somebody the Bible and then they become a follower. You share the gospel with them. They become a follower of Christ. Then you teach. And so what we need to do here is communicate God's word. Our responsibility is to communicate the word of God to the rest of the world. You can call that missions. You can call that evangelism. You can call that just being a friend to your next door neighbor. You can call that being a, a, a loyal uh, parent teaching your children. Because folks, every person is a first generation Christian. God has no grandchildren. So we are to communicate God's word. Jesus' instruction in Matthew 4, 19. Here's his first sermon. The first sermon that Jesus ever preached. Matthew chapter 1 is his genealogy. Matthew chapter 2 is his birth. The wise men come. Matthew chapter 3, he is uh, uh, sent off into the wilderness. Matthew 4, he begins his public ministry. And his first sermon, his first words are, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, let, let, let's put that up here in a diagram, okay? Follow me, I will make you fishers of men, okay? Now, if we, you see that, you see that sentence up there? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. All right, let's read it backwards. If you're not fishing for men, are you a follower of Christ? Now, folks, this is not optional. I don't know where the church gets the idea that uh, the pastor's job is to make sheep. No, sheep reproduce sheep. Pastors feed sheep. Okay? Sheep make sheep. Can we say that? Sheep make sheep. Pastors feed sheep. All right? Now, by the way, I have my own responsibility in making sheep and sharing the gospel. But if we're not... Being a fisher of men, are we really a follower of Christ? 
Well, that's not my spiritual gift. Who said anything about spiritual gift? Jesus didn't say that. He says, if you follow me, you're going to be a fisher of men. <coughs> Billy Graham, and I, I think he's probably understated this, said 90%, these are statistics, I'm, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, I know it's huge, like that 90% of believers never lead anybody else to Christ in their life. Now, how sad is that? To go through your entire life and never influence another person to come to Jesus. That's probably one of the greatest tragedies in the world. And a friend of mine lives down in Fort Myers, Bill Fay, who wrote uh, uh, the material called How to Share Jesus Without Fear. He did an impromptu survey. He spoke with tens of thousands uh, of people through the years. And his little impromptu survey said that it takes one, let's see, a person comes to Christ after 7.8 presentations of the gospel. In other words, the first time they hear the gospel, it's like, hmm, that's new. I never heard that before. Second time they hear about Christ, they go, well, you know, I heard that from somebody else the other day. You know, they have to hear the average person has to hear the gospel 7.8 times before they finally understand it enough to believe it and surrender their life to Christ. Now, here's the question. Are you willing to be number five in that process? What does that mean? It means you're not the first one to share the truth of Christ. And you don't get to see that person pray and surrender their life to Christ. You don't get to see them baptized. But are you willing to be number five in the process, not ever seeing the fruit, not really even knowing what happened, but knowing that you're part of the process of bringing somebody to Christ? That be, that's being a fisher of men. When I was a little kid, uh, there was a barbecue restaurant in, my, in our hometown called Wibbs and and Jack Hoffmeister was a, a great bass fisherman. And he had these huge bass hanging on the walls. And I think there was two reasons. One, his wife didn't want him in her house. And secondly, it was kind of bragging rights. And, and of course, I'm a little guy sitting there and I go, Mr. Jack, Mr. Jack, how do you catch fish like this? Because never, I've never even seen a fish this big before. And he, he made this statement to me. He says, Dave, there's no substitute for just keeping a hook in the water. If you keep a hook in the water, sooner or later, one of these is going to get on your hook. I go, oh, okay. Sonny, that's why I go all the time. You know, that's why I do that. You know, it's just, you know, sooner or later, a big one's going to get on there, okay? <laughs> well, <laughs> folks, <laughs> if you're a fisher of men, you may not get a fish every time that you share. But are you willing to be part of the process that helps somebody discover who Christ is? Our responsibility is Jesus said, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to be fishing for men. And you know what I found? I found that it's easy for somebody to talk about things they love. It's easy to talk about. I, this guy right here, Don Ball, if I ever talk about grandkids and pull out a picture of me and my grandson killing a pig, here come 12 more of his. Well, look at these deer. Look at these pigs. Man, you think, you killing something? Man, look at what we did. Huh? Is that not true? You better be ready for home movies with this guy if you talk about grandkids and hunting. Huh? You know why? Because he loves those grandkids. That's why. It's easy to talk about something you love, right? How much do you love Christ? Church family, we don't come here just to sit so and sour. 
You're not part of this church just to enjoy sweet fellowship. Although we do that. You're here because you are a strategic part of the body of Christ, given a spiritual gift that God wants you to exercise. He wants you to use it. Maybe your ministry is cupcake baking. You know, I'll I, I tell you a, a situation. Uh, we were in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, this is, boy, this goes back. In seminary, there was an Oriental couple that moved in across the street from us. And, and uh, Susanna, she just took a box cake. It was it 75 cents for a box cake back then, you know, a yellow cake. Uh, did it 13 by 9 pan. You know, we got three little kids running around, you know, and so she didn't have a lot of time to do stuff. Baked the cake, iced it, carried it across the street to this Oriental couple. Three days later, that cake pan came back to us, mounded over with homemade egg rolls. Mounded oh, over huge. I go, quick, Susanna, we got something going here. Bake another cake, send it back, okay? <laughs> Didn't I, huh? Didn't I say that? <laughs> and that, that lady, that lady was so lonely. I mean, you know, she's an Oriental. So they, her husband had come. Uh, he was an engineer of some kind. And she would come over and spend hours and hours every day just visiting with Susanna while she ironed and cooked and talked and everything. Folks, that's what it means to be a fisher of men. It's just loving people. Just loving on folks. And I could go down the pew here, and I know you're capable of that because I've seen you. I know you love folks. I know you love people. So we demonstrate God's love by caring about people. And we communicate God's word by sharing Christ. And by the way, folks, nobody comes to Jesus without hearing about it from someone. God doesn't work in a vacuum. God doesn't work in a vacuum. Your responsibility and mine is to share the truth. And just love them. Just share the truth. They don't have to make a decision. It's okay. But just share with them about a Savior who loved them enough to die for them on a cross. So, Jesus' last instruction to us was, now by the way, His first sermon was, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's the Alpha. What was His last sermon? The last thing he said, the Omega, and ye shall be my witnesses. The Alpha command of Christ, first sermon, fishers of men. His last sermon, the Omega, last sermon, you shall be fishers of men. You shall be my witnesses. And witnesses means sharing the truth. Sharing the truth. By the way, that word witness is the Greek word martus, which is what we get martyr from. Now, does this mean you're going to be head chopped off when you share the gospel? I hope not. But, folks, sometimes it's not totally well received. But you just look, look at folks and you just love them. I'll I, I tell you a story of Billy Smith. Did I ever tell him about Billy? No. Billy, next door neighbor. Yeah, I've got to watch my time here. Yeah. Okay, anyway, Billy. I've got to tell a story of Billy. <laughs> Billy. Yeah, Billy. Billy, we, we moved into our home, this home in Fort Worth and... And Billy uh, uh, lived next to me. He had three, three little boys, stair-step boys. And, and they taught my kids how to catch toad frogs and stuff like that. And, and uh, we just became good friends. And he realized I was driving back at Christmas time to see uh, my mom up in Missouri. This is the time when Bass Pro Shops is selling these little aluminum bass boats. And he says, would you drag one of those back for me? Go through Springfield and pull it back. I said, sure, Billy. Just set the paperwork up do it. So I did. And I said, but there's only one, only one condition. I'm going to pull this boat back for you. 
about 850 miles, and, and I get to fish with you once a month, at least once a month out of it, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And here's the way, I just love Billy. Billy Scott. Billy Scott was his name. Billy, um, and, and I'd share the gospel with him, and his, all three of his kids come to Christ. His wife came to Christ, but not Billy. And so we go fishing at night, uh, catfishing out on a local lake there in Fort Worth. And, and uh, Billy, he'd, uh, uh, he'd have his long neck Budweiser's in the, in the ice, and I'd put my root beers in there, you know. And I said, man, I need something to drink, Billy. And so he'd always hand me the bud, long neck bud. I go, no, 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 not one of yours, one of mine, Billy. I said, okay. So I'd share the gospel with him. So what was fantastic about this, he's only 17 feet away and he can't get away. I mean, we're out on the, right, we're on the water. And so I'd share Christ with him and, and we, just, we just had a great time. We just had a great time, you know. I'd have to drive us home a lot of times because Billy was, you know, he'd had a lot of them long necks, you know. But I just love Billy. And he had this Tennessee accent. He's from Tennessee originally. And, uh, and I remember one night we pulled the boat ramp, you know, just right about dusk, back in the end, taking the straps off the boat. And he leans across the boat and he says, okay, Dave, tell me about Jesus. Let's get it over with so we can fish. <laughs> I said, so I shared the gospel with him. And I said, you want to give your life to Christ? No. I said, okay, let's fish. And so we fished all night, you know. Um, we just had a great relationship. Relationship, folks. It's just loving people is all it is. I didn't force anything on Billy, but I want him to know the truth because I love Billy Scott. We moved away within 18 months, two years. About midnight one night, I get this phone call, and I'm just, oh, hello, hello, what, what? And I hear this Tennessee accent on the phone. Billy, is that you? Yeah. Dave, it's me. It's me. It's Billy. Okay. And I said, Billy, what, why are you? And I look at the clock. Why are you calling me at midnight? It's 11 o'clock in Fort Worth. He says, well, there was a guy here at the church. He came by my house. And... Uh, and he said, no, no, if anybody's going to do the saving, it's going to be Dave. Well, his theology wasn't real good, or, you know. <laughs> Basically, what he was saying is, if I'm going to pray and give my life to Christ, I want it to be with Dave. So he called me on the phone, and I'm just, I'm screaming at the phone, and I'm getting on my knees. I said, Billy, are you on your knees? Are you on your knees? Yeah, 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 I'm on these. I said, all right. And so we prayed over the phone, and Billy gave his life to Christ. Amen. Folks, it's just loving on folks. That's all it is. But we are commanded to communicate God's word. There is no option about that. And I didn't make any judgments about Billy's lifestyle or anything else. You know, just, I just love Billy. Communicate his presence. And fourthly, we are to, oh, excuse me. Sheep produce what? Sheep. sheep. Pastors what? Sheep. Feed sheep. All right, think about that one. Why? Why do we do this? Because God loves people. That's why. Because Jesus loves people. That's why we are to communicate His message. Because He loved them enough to go to a cross and die for them. Do you know anybody that loves you enough to die for you on a cross? Jesus did. God, the God of all glory, left time, left it behind, left heaven behind, the glory of angels, came to this earth because He loves you and me. And our responsibility as a church is to communicate that message with folks. I can't make a decision for anybody, but I can tell them the story, just like somebody told me the story. Now, fourthly, we need to educate God's people. Educate God's people. It means once somebody comes to Christ, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Then what does it say? Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So we make disciples, then we 
we teach disciples. We educate them. We educate God's people. We want them to grow in faith and maturity because all believers are first generation. There are no second generation. You know, uh, I've, I've talked with folks and said, well, you know, I'm, or say you're a follower of Christ. Well, I'm a Baptist preacher's son. That's not what I ask. You know, being a, a relative of, of a believer it doesn't get you to heaven. God deals with everybody first person. First person. My little grandkids, same way. So we are to educate God's people. And what are we to educate them with? We take the Bible and we're to open the Bible and learn what it means to live and walk with Him. That's what Bible studies are about. That's what Sunday school class is about. That's what a worship service like this is about. It's educating God's people. And what do we want to do? Well, the goal for teaching is, first of all, personal. It needs to be personal application. Things that you and I can do personally to apply the truth of God to our life. And secondly, it needs to be practical. Because it's practical for everyday living. You know, people need miracles in marriage, in money, in, um, in relationships, in parenting. We all need miracles in that because, no, you know, you and I, you know what we can do? We can just mess things up royally, but it takes, we need, a, we need the grace of God to bring order out of chaos. Uh, at least we do. Oh, God, just talking to Suzanne and I. And so the Word of God is instruction for, from God. It's, this is what God is telling you. This is how you can live. And so the instruction from the Word of God needs to be personal, needs to be practical, and it needs to be uh, uh, positive. You know, man, these are love letters that God's given us. That's what the Word is. So let me bring this to conclusion here. Priorities, the purpose of God, to the people of God. We develop a program. So in this church family, we need to celebrate God's presence in worship. We need to demonstrate His love by reaching out and touching the lives of people around us. And the people here, too. Demonstrating His love. By this, all men will know that you are uh, that you're the, my children if you have love one for another. So we're to celebrate God's presence, demonstrate God's love, communicate God's word, and educate God's people. Two things out of the great commandment, two things out of the great commission. And here's what I want to leave you with. A great commitment, that's what you have to bring. You have to bring the great commitment the great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. If you make a great commitment to the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself, if you make a great commitment to that and a great commitment to sharing God's word and growing God's people, I believe that'll grow a great church. Do you think so? Yes. Think, you, think, you think it'll grow a great church? I think so. So in that equation, what you bring to the table is a great commitment. I can't do that for you. If I could, I would. But you have to make that commitment to Him. And that's what grows a great church.
Let's pause and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. And Father, your, your love for people is just amazing. <laughs> for God so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. What a commitment that you made to us. And so, Father, as we recognize that great commitment that you made to us, I pray, Father, you'd find hearts in here tonight, today, willing to really sell out to you and commit themselves to you. Because, Father, this is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ called the First Baptist Osprey. And, Father, you're going to raise up people in the right place, in the right time, you're going to look at this church, Father, you're going to say there's not enough prophetic utterance, there's not enough mercy, there's not enough exhortation. And you're going to bring into this body those gifts and those abilities that we need right when we need them. But Father, I recognize it already, seated out here in front of me, there's tremendous spiritual power and opportunity that's seated right here you've already placed here. Many of them have served you faithfully for many, many years. I pray, Father, we'd never grow old in serving you, never grow old. We grow in grace, we grow in our knowledge, we grow in our love for you. So thank you, Father. Grow this place into a great church that would be an honor and a blessing to your name and that would touch lives and help people and make a difference in their lives. That's our desire. That's our desire. And with our heads bowed, our eyes closed for another moment, I'm going to conclude my prayer. But I wonder if, if you're seated here today, are you willing to make that great commitment? Are you willing right now as a believer to say, I, I want to be one that makes a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. I resolve to do that. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if you say, I'm making that commitment, would you raise your hand? Just raise it up, right back down. Thank you, thank you. Put it right back down. I see it. Is there anybody else? Yeah, I see that. Thank you. Thank you. I see it over here. Anybody else says, I'm, I'm willing to make that great commitment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over this room. Father, thank you. You've, you've seen the faith that's been demonstrated here. As so many say, I, I count on me. I'm making that commitment now. Thank you, Father. But perhaps, Father, there's someone here that really doesn't know you yet. It's not really surrendered to you yet. But I pray, Father, you draw them to yourself as only you can. In a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing one song of invitation. And if you're one today that has really never made that commitment to the Lord Jesus and surrendered your life to him, I'm going to invite you as we stand to come join me right here and take your stand for Christ. And say, I want the world to know that I'm following him. Because he loved me, I'm going to follow him. Because he gave himself for me, I'm going to give myself to others. And if you're willing to do that, and you've never before openly, publicly 
made a declaration of your faith, then I want to invite you to come and stand right here. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you say anything. I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause you embarrassment. Your presence here says it all. Your presence says, I'm going God's way. We will rejoice with you, and then you can be seated. That's all. So that's the, that's the invitation. could be that you're already a believer. You're looking for a church home. And God's telling you that this is the place that you belong. This is going to be your family. I want to invite you to be the very first one out to come down and let us start the process of folding you into the life of this church. We don't know that you want to become part of this body unless you give us an indication. And so we invite you to be the first one out to come stand here. We'll let somebody get with you and just take a moment. And we'll get the information needed to fold you into the life of this